Welcome to Leadership, the Future, and Tea, featuring our special guests, hosted by Andy Davis and N. Moffitt, a podcast for people who are passionate about making a difference at work. So welcome, everybody, uh, to another episode of Leadership, the Future, and Tea. And today I'm joined by our special guests, Rita Burgett Martel. Uh, Rita, hi, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Ah, wonderful. And thank you for reaching out and uh, coming on the podcast. It's great to be in contact with you and connected. And uh, yeah, looking forward to this. Yes, me too. Definitely. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, listen, Rita, uh, we've just had a fantastic chat about about your work and what you do and the the, the fact that you're working remotely now and everything. But we're going to get into all of that in the podcast. But before we start, I always tell everybody a little bit about our guests and um I'm always amazed by what our guests actually have done in the past. Okay, we've got some crackers. So for everybody that if you've not reached out and connected with Rita yet, uh, her contact details are going to be at the bottom of the show notes. But to start off with, I just want to give you a little bit of background for Rita. So bear with me on this because this is a this is quite a level of achievement here. So Rita has an extensive organizational change management consultant background, which includes leading large scale, global, multi-phase, multi-location technology organizational realignment and process change initiatives for Fortune 500 clients and providing thought leadership and change coaching for C-level executives and senior leadership teams. Rita's international experience includes working with clients in Australia, Manila, Bali, UK, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, France, Cape Town, Hong Kong, Tokyo and Singapore. Wow, what a a list. Her specialities include global ERP system implementations and providing thought leadership and change coaching for C-level and senior leadership teams. She's the author of two books, Change Ready, a manager's guide to managing change and defining moments. Rita, there's no more to add on there, surely. <laughs> I've been around a while. So. That's a, listen, that's a fantastic collection. And uh, what a lovely collection of countries that you actually get to work with folks in, because you learn something different from a different person in a different country, don't you? Oh, it's amazing. And I think travel really does expand your mind and working with different companies and understanding different cultures. Because I think in the United States, and since I'm an American, I can talk about us, but I think we <laughs> view <laughs> that everybody should behave like we do and think like we do. And I mean, one of the projects I had, I uh, was based in Munich for a while. And oh, lovely. just appalled by the hours we worked and we didn't take enough holidays and it's you know you Americans yeah. work 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 and yeah and then something else I noticed I would go into offices like Chevron or, or Cisco would have yeah. offices in different locations and I would go meet with their their local leaders and they were all Americans and I thought how sad this is that we wow. don't have managers from that country that that's right that's right American companies expand into other countries and put an American in charge. And yeah. we're out on so much that we could be learning from other cultures that maybe have a better way of doing things than we do, God forbid. <laughs> wow. So, wow. Yeah. I think you just probably opened a hornet's nest right there about whether, <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> whether multinationals should be actually appointing in country leaders rather yes. than sending over a home country leader. Um, yeah, yeah, you want the multicultural teams, so you have yeah. different perspectives. But no, I think that Americans have just made the mistake of thinking 
everyone should do it like we do it. And that's not always the case. Some of the best leaders I've worked with were actually in, um, in Brussels. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They were great. They seem to relate better to um, a variety of countries than just focus in their own area. Yeah, I was thinking about that this morning, um, the earlier call I had. Yeah, the best leaders I've worked with as far as um, supporting their organization and making change. I would say the two best leaders were both in Brussels. Well, that's a that's a fantastic um that's a fantastic recommendation for people in brussels um and, and i guess that you know whereabouts they're located okay they, they they're surrounded by many many other countries so in terms of getting to work with different people from different backgrounds different nationalities they're probably in a better place than anybody else you know they, right. they've got access to a wider range of people mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, i mean i'm fortunate that business is done in english around the world because I just have this kind of, I don't know, problem with learning a foreign language. It's, it's a disaster when I try to speak it. So I'm sure that's not true. I'm sure it's not true. Other people speak English and I can work with them and travel. Yeah, that, that, there you go. And I, I think um, I, I was chatting to uh, one of my colleagues over the weekend and we were talking about actually the fact that uh, um, the the British schooling is fantastic as it is. We don't actually focus enough on those foreign languages. And equally, you know, I take a I take my own percentage share of not properly learning the language. I, mm-hmm. I'd say that I have very very rough tourist uh, language abilities in several different languages. But let me tell you, it's um, other than ordering a bit of food and a few train tickets, it's not going to get me that far. So uh, yeah, I, I and I and again, I if I had my time again, Rita, I'd probably actually go out and properly learn a language. So I would too. I would start very young. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and again, uh, I work over in Singapore a lot, as we were just talking before we came on here. <clears throat> and what's fantastic is that when you go around the shops at the weekends, um, you know, the, the, the parents are actually taking the kids to the school clubs at the weekends as well to carry on that development of the languages. And they do that again after school in the shopping centres. It's quite amazing mm-hmm. to see it. Um, and they have a, a massive focus. Uh, so yeah, uh, and my colleagues over in Singapore, um, they they want their children to 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 learn English. So I, again, I, I I wish I'd have had my time again. I'm not sure what language I'd have picked, knowing what I know now. Um, yeah. I, I'd have probably picked different ones along my lifetime. Uh, uh-huh. I can't say there's one language that I would have picked from the outset. I would have started early with Chinese because I think that or man yeah. it would have been the most challenging to learn. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, and and actually, the greatest um, business lesson I I think I learned, or consulting lesson, or maybe leader lesson, was in in Bali, and oh, a facilitator really? at a conference in Bali, and we had about five hundred people attending, and we had a group of facilitators who were doing uh, discussion groups at the end of morning sessions. And I had a partner facilitator who was Balinese. And so, of course, being American, I wanted to immediately get into (laughs) the feedback session. And we had about nine, nine to 11 people in our group. It was it was a good group and from all over the world. And I noticed she was okay with silence. And 
oh my God, to have an American who's okay with silence is rare. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and start talking. And so I asked her at the end of one session, I said, how? You seem to be comfortable with silence. And she said, yes, that's our culture. It's our culture. Yeah. The power of the pause. And yeah, absolutely right. Wow, the power of the pause. And so yeah. the next session I practiced just saying nothing. And not like I had to actually fill in the silence with anything. And it was amazing how people opened up. And so I started incorporating that into my consulting and found that it worked so well in all kinds of situations. Just the power of the pause. And That's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Because we really can't tolerate silence. It's difficult for us to tolerate dealing with the unknown. Um, we want to fill in the blanks. We don't like, you know, seeing the blanks. We want the story to have a happy ending. And so if we don't have an answer, if we don't have information, we tend to make it up. And what yeah. we have is something that's probably 10 times worse than the reality will be. But wow. Maybe that's something that, that uh, a few more leaders around the world should actually embrace, that power of the pause. The power of the pause, um, also balancing that with giving employees information, because a lot of my projects, of course, change is something that makes us uncomfortable. It's very disruptive, whether we sure. make it or not. And so a, a lot of the leaders that I worked with, their first instinct would be not to share information because they didn't want to upset their workforce. And I yep. said, uh, the grapevine already has come up with a story. You know, they already are sharing information that people are just not and exaggerating. So it's out there whether you want it to be out there or not. So, Absolutely. yeah, yeah, a balance there between yeah. listening and yeah. sharing. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I'm just going to agree with you that that's exactly what people do. If uh, mm -hmm. if you don't actually tell them the, the right information, then they're going to either make the information up, whether it's right, wrong or indifferent. And then, unfortunately, the leader's job will then be to break that piece of information and then undo and then fill it in with the correct. You might as well have just given out the right information to begin with. That's the, the, the really simple lesson there, isn't it? Yeah, and the leaders missed an opportunity to build trust. by. Oh, there we go. That it's that trust word again, Rita, right? I'm going to get a big buzzer, okay, because um, I was chatting to somebody only, uh, I think it was the day before yesterday, and uh, I was saying to them that on every single episode of the podcast, the word trust comes up in leadership. Mm -hmm. And no matter what you do, no matter however you try to get around it or call it anything else, it still comes back to a very simple word, trust, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes, and I think trust goes both ways. And so we hear a lot about uh employees trusting their leaders, follow, followers trusting their leaders, but we don't mm. really talk a lot about leaders trusting their followers Correct. and leaders trusting their employees. And when you share information, you're trusting that they have the ability to handle this. They're strong yeah. enough to handle it. You know, they're smart enough to understand it. And I think yeah. by withholding that information, we're, we're doing their thinking for them. We're not giving yeah. them an opportunity. Yeah. By being too hands-on and being too controlling, we're saying I, I don't trust. I don't trust your ability to do your job. I have to jump yeah. in and do it for you, or undo and, and it. Don't, and redo. 
Yeah, and don't you think that uh, the, the the leader's responsibility in the first place is to build that team in a way and train them in a way that actually that trust is there already, so that they they know and understand the beliefs and the and the needs of and the and the direction of that leader, such that they can go away mm-hmm. with the trust on both sides, knowing that they're going to represent that leader and achieve what they actually want them to achieve. Yes, and I think that's a sign of a, a characteristic of a good leader that the leader can leave and everything functions just fine because the leaders yeah. do such a good job of preparing preparing their people. And it it was always confusing to me because I thought, okay, you hired this person for this job, and so at some point you thought they had the skills, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they had the experience. And so at what point did that change? Where you thought, okay, they yeah. really do it and have to jump in and take it away and do it for them or you know whatever so yeah that yeah. is important to talk about it going both ways yeah no definitely definitely so um I, I, and again we were just talking about this before we actually started pressing record and uh, talking properly um you're out there doing some coaching with people in a vast array of countries uh, you're doing it remotely what are the main factors that are really causing headaches and concerns for those leaders that you're dealing with at the moment? Is there is there a trend that you're seeing? Well, there's so much uncertainty now. I mean, this mm. year, 2020, um, we've just had this unexpected change. I mean, out of the, the blue, this pandemic hit. And so yeah. that threatens our really two sources of security and stability, our health. And, and then our income. And so, you know, it's kind of a, a double whammy. And yeah. so leaders are faced with the, the responsibility for keeping people focused on doing work. Um, I mean, some industries, like I have a client I'm working with now, she just lost her job in hospitality. So of course, hospitality and retail hit really hard. But yeah, absolutely. businesses have to keep functioning. And so when employees are so afraid that at any moment they could lose their job or any moment someone in their family could get sick or a combination of the two, then it's really difficult to keep people focused. And so this is an opportunity. I think we all wish it hadn't happened, but when unexpected things happen, if we can look at it for what can we take away from this? How can we, um, how can we be better because of this? And I think it does help us develop our skills to lead during times of uncertainty. I mean, in the middle of a crisis, we've, for the, what, the last 40 years, we've had nonstop change in the workplace, driven by um, restructuring, by mergers and acquisitions, by implementing new technology systems. I mean, it's just been constant change, but it's mostly been change for growth. And, you know, that's exciting. It can be threatening to people because they have to learn new skills. And there's always going to be that thought in the back of a lot of employees' minds, can I still learn? I'm afraid I do a job now, but will I be able to do it with this new technology or, you know, this new country or whatever is going to be different? <laughs> can, I, can I really do this? So there's, you know, that, that fear and that uncertainty that's always there with change. That's why we need supportive leaders. But, you know, what we're dealing with now is just so much on top of that and such rapid change that we've been forced to make. And like I said earlier, people want answers. We don't like 
don't like to, um, to fill in the blanks. We don't like blanks. We want to know when this is going to end and when life will go back to what we thought was normal. And of course, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. It's not going to be like it was. But yes, yeah, an opportunity for leaders to really focus on how do I lead when so much is unknown. I'm agreeing with everything that you're saying. I'm sitting here nodding away, okay, for those that are listening to this on the podcast. Um, You're completely right. I was delivering a a workshop the other day, and what you've said has reminded me. I was delivering this workshop about culture, okay, and one of the things we were talking about uh, culture and and driving a sort of high-performing culture and everything was about the sharing of information and about that transparency, the trust again thing, okay. And the more Mm -hmm. information that you share, then actually – again that's the sign of a really mature culture and i just wondered if that what we're saying is that now in the time of uncertainty am i right in saying that actually that sharing of information is now even more important than ever before it's more important and you share what you know when you know it and because we don't know what's going to happen next week we don't know what's going to happen next month we hope that things will get better um, yeah. But we don't know. We couldn't have imagined that what has happened this past year has happened. But yeah. we're going through unexpected change or really any kind of change. If you plan it, if you plan it, you have a vision that you're working toward accomplishing that vision. And if it's a shared vision, then you can get people on board with it. And we're, it's yeah. like we're all traveling to the future together. We have this shared sure. vision. And we each have a role in bringing that vision about. When it's unexpected change, this wasn't a vision we came up with. (laughs) This wasn't part of our strategy or probably even our business interruption or business continuity plan. But here we are. So what do we do? And what do we do is focus on today. What do we do? Our our focus and our decision-making becomes very short-term. And I think this whether you're talking about your business or talking about your personal life, when you're surrounded by so many unknowns and so mm-hmm. much uncertainty, all you really can focus on is now. What is it yeah. that I can I can do now? And an opportunity for us to become much more solution focused on the now. Love it. So I want to keep talking about the now, okay? Because um, in your in your blog, you talked about command and control approach of leadership being very detrimental to innovation, and I loved it. I loved it. It was one of those moments that you kind of stop reading something, you go back and read it again, just to make sure that you did actually say those words. Because again, it's fantastic to actually see you talking about that now. How how do you describe then the, the new style of leadership that's now required, bearing in mind what you've just said? How, how do you describe that new style? Yeah, it's definitely relationship building. And I read a study uh, done with millennials on their mm. view of leadership and what makes a good leader. And, and what the study said was that millennials will not trust the leader until they build a relationship with them. So the relationship, and it's not just the work relationship, it's, you know, being involved in, oh, you know, your children, your family, your just, yeah. just there's more to this person than their job role. Sure. And so where 
my generation of baby boomers, I mean, we were kind of accustomed to command and control. And yeah. we started, you know, questioning that, but we kind of, you know, went along with it because career was the most important thing, you know, going to business school and building a business and and then women coming into the workplace and, you know, really focused on accomplishments and achievements. So yeah, different generations have different focuses, but I think establishing trust and, and showing um, that you care, you know, showing as a leader that you care about what's going on in someone's family. Maybe their spouse has lost a job. Maybe their parents have gotten sick. Maybe they don't have child care. But where, you know, back in the olden days, you either showed up and did your job, no excuses. And women often didn't even want anybody to know they had children <laughs> because yeah, yeah. No, seen as taking away from the time you can invest in your job. So I think it's really becoming, instead of command and control, it's becoming compassionate, more of a compassionate leader. And that doesn't mean that you're weak. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and, and arguably, it's quite the opposite, actually. Mm-hmm. In order to be yeah. that compassionate leader, it probably requires far more effort and thought uh, and, and actually further planning than it does the, the going back to the old roots of the command and control. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and I'm going to say the word empathy. Um, you mentioned yeah. earlier on there about people being unwell and uh, yeah, at the moment, especially. And just mm-hmm. the whole the whole thing of empathy isn't just about the COVID era, okay? That that was required before COVID. Uh, uh-huh. It's probably just brought it more to the fore now. So, yeah. uh, and again, I'm, I'm just going to want to draw on your vast experience of change management, okay? Because uh, we've we've done a, a whole episode on change management and it was really interesting. We had some great discussion. We, we talked about some great examples of failure and success of change management. Um, but I want to, to ask you the question, though, what are the main failures of change management that you would like business, business leaders to avoid in future projects? What I saw happening over and over was a failure to involve the right people at the right time. So <laughs> not enough engagement, not enough involvement. In order for change to happen in any type of organization, um, it has to... It t- change takes place at the local level. That's where the yep. work is done. And so you can say change is driven from the top. Well, often at the top, they come up with the vision and then they hand it off for execution. And then they go away and come up with another vision. <laughs> the ex- that's part of their job as leader to, you know, look toward the future and what it looks like the opportunities are. And I mean, you know, Kind of, kind of their role, but just to hand it off and move on, they're not personally experiencing a change. They still have their job. Their job hadn't changed. You know, they hang on to their job and they're coming up with the next vision. And so the execution is pushed on down to the organization. And then often for the, the level where change really needs to happen and the way people do their work, they're kind of informed two weeks before it's going to happen. <laughs> kind That's of about it. Yep. If they're lucky, two months and they can get some training at this new technology. So yeah, and you know, would go in. Well, sometimes I would go in in the beginning of a project, and I would develop that engagement plan, uh, looking at the different levels of leadership in the organization, different locations, looking at the mm-hmm. impact, and who need to be in 
he needed to be involved in what way at what time. And then sure. we have a plan, hopefully, for executing that and hopefully have the leader support. Sometimes it went well, sometimes it didn't. But sometimes I would go in the middle of a project or at, when they were at the end and about ready to go live with new technology and all of a sudden they realized this technology doesn't work with our operating model. <laughs> it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work with our processes. We've spent $40 million and we have something that we can't use. <laughs> what are we going to do? And yeah, so, that's no good. <laughs> I've had projects like that where we kind of had to, okay, let's take a few steps back here and see what we can do, what we can do to look at what changes we need to make in process and what does this really mean? Because one change leads to other changes, leads to other change. And we have yeah, of course to understand that, that ripple effect in order to be successful and realize the benefits that uh, and our investment in making this huge change. So, yeah, that is it. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that, that you focus on that in terms of the, you, you know, really the culture. Okay, because uh, one of our um, our colleagues that joins us on the the regular podcast series is uh, Deborah Hartung, that many of our listeners will have heard time and time again. Deborah's from um, South Africa, and uh, she goes out and leads the uh, you know HR implementations. And she said in one of the uh, the podcasts that for her, each and every implementation is a culture change project. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and I love that. I love that. It's a, it's a great mm-hmm. one to sum up that actually mm-hmm. you can be putting in a piece of technology, but really, actually, it's not about the technology. It's about the people that are actually using it. Yes, the people and the behavior and the mindset, of course. And of course, yeah. it drives behavior. So people often give lip service to change and they say they support yep. it, uh, but they don't because their behavior doesn't change. They say they mm-hmm. believe it. This is the way, yes, this is, these are our values. I always loved seeing the values and then observing the behavior. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> behavior tells you everything. Words are only words, but the behavior tells you what people are really thinking and what, you know, they're going to do. They, they understand it. They accept the change. They do believe in it because their behavior follows or, or they don't. Yeah, and uh, and again, you must have been at the uh, the workshop that I delivered a couple of days ago on culture because uh, I talked about values and uh, I talked about the fact that if you've got values, you've got to live the values every day. And actually, the leadership as a as a role model, unless you're actually doing that, and mm-hmm. they can see it and feel it in the business, then the values. Uh, and we did a study into this, okay, um, mm-hmm. recently. It was about eighteen months ago. And the most negative part of the of this cultural study was when people were asked about values within their business. And this stream of negativity came through where basically people said, look, our leadership team don't live the values. Okay, we've got a piece of paper with them written on, but we don't feel it every day in our life at work. And Mm -hmm. it was was really straightforward. It it really was. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. And uh, back to involvement and engagement, that's one way you get or allow people to have the opportunity to take ownership of the change. And so they become part of making it happen instead of a victim of it happening. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have that opportunity to take ownership if you don't involve them. One of the things I I love working on uh, change projects as well is when you meet people that initially play the victim and 
you know everything's been done to them and they, and they hate it and and there comes a time with some people where where you can see the day that they actually change they whether it's a, been a mental an actual a, a positive mental act to change mm-hmm. and say as of now i'm not going to be the victim i'm going to be the person that steps up and actually takes some control of this because that way i can cope with it better than being the victim when you see that actually that switch that's a beautiful moment and and often those people go on to become the greatest proponents and advocates uh, within a business yes i uh, some of the strongest resistors the people yeah. who are most resistant and the most negative will become your uh, more powerful advocates and yeah. when i would go into an organization and look at the resistance you know where's the resistance? coming from and establish a, a change or communication network so we would have a structure that would support involvement i would yeah. uh, not difficult to identify resistors i mean they're usually <laughs> very vocal <laughs> and yeah, what exactly. i realize is this person is powerful and they're yeah. going to use their power to influence and persuade in a negative way destructive way or in a positive way mm-hmm. so i'm going to get them on my team i'm going to ask to do something to help me so they become part of this and that would be a way that they could make that shift because i mean we feel insecure during times of change and when people are threatened they'll come across like a dictator they'll come across like a victim and it's all fear-based and when we understand that they're not bad people they're just people who are afraid and what can we do to to help them feel a little bit more empowered or yeah. you know, a little bit more in control because we do have control until we give it away. And we can be part of, of making something happen. And yeah. it feels much better. It's, it's, it is empowering. You do become a leader. And it's the, yeah. the power of peers. And so leaders are, are very influential, of course, but peers, and your coworkers are even more powerful. So having that strange network of peers was extremely effective and minimizing resistance and building building support and readiness for change. Yeah, and uh, and, and COVID is going to change a lot. Okay, COVID mm-hmm. will change a lot of how we do things. Um, I actually hope that the the rapidity of change uh, actually how fast you can start a change and, and make it stick i hope that that actually gets faster because in this uncertain world that we now live in far more uncertain than before people mm-hmm. will hopefully going back to what you said earlier on realize that that you know jobs may be at risk for people and actually the the better way to to combat that is to be part of that change part of that solution and that resistance that is there initially, because it's always there in any change project, that if the, that is lower than before and we can get into the change and deliver it faster to deliver more benefit, I, I personally hope that that is one of the changes, okay, to, to support what you're saying there. But just focusing on that at the moment, and I know we've talked about leadership changing towards a more compassionate uh, way that you think it needs to change. What else do you see about leadership in the post-COVID era? Have you got any predictions or wants that you wish to uh, put on record? I think it may be in the process of being redefined. I mean, I felt like leadership was being redefined because of a new generation coming in 
to the workplace. You know, I've, I've been observing that um, and observing, you know, as I mentioned earlier, back in the olden days, women didn't even want anyone to know they had children because they would yeah, be taking yeah. time away. And what I observed over the last 10 years um, are the involvement of men as parents and mm-hmm. having paternity leave. And I know yep. other have had this, but the United States, we haven't. So companies having paternity leave where fathers were allowed to take three, four months off to be with their baby and to take really? time off to really to build a relationship with their children, yeah. enjoy their family. So I, I felt like leadership was in the process of changing as well. Um, I think trust, I think that trust will be there because as, as Managers see that employees can be more productive working from home and that will rise to them. They can maybe have more of a work-life balance uh, because they are home with their family more and not spending so much time commuting. But then again, here in the United States, we don't have children back in school yet. They have remote. And so, you know, the parents are working from home. The children are going to school from home if they're back in class. And so it's a lot of pressure. It's, it's a lot of pressure. And I do think what you said about change, I do think because I've, I've always seen change as a capability that everyone needs to develop because it's just better in our life if we have to manage change, uh, unexpected change, and it empowers us to choose change to help us grow. And so I think it's an opportunity to develop that change capability. And I've observed the rapid change that's happened in healthcare and happened in education from technology because they haven't, I mean, it would have taken, it would have taken education another two or three years to really adapt the adaptive learning and the the remote learning because that's been going on for a while and there's been so much resistance to that. But they had to do it very quickly because that was right. that was all we could do, you know, in the moment. Yeah. And then the same yeah. with healthcare. Healthcare was going along that path anyway. Mm-hmm. But all, of yeah. it, all of a sudden, my doctors don't want me to come to the office. They want to set up a Zoom. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> and, right. And yeah. rapid, rapid change that we didn't have a lot of resistance to because we didn't have time. For the resistance, yeah. you know, we had to do it and we did. We are. We are in the process. I, I, yeah, and I, I've i witnessed all of that for myself. Uh, you know, it, it really is an interesting change that has taken place. And as I said earlier on, that rapidity of change, the, the those places that may have been a little bit slow to have, have cottoned on to some of those technological advances. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had an appointment with the doctor a couple of weeks ago. And quite frankly, it was the best service I've ever had from a doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it, it's one-on-one. <laughs> yeah, it was it was phenomenal. I mean, it was even to the point that at the end of the consultation, um, mm-hmm. they wrote out the prescription there and then, and 10 minutes mm-hmm. later, I was picking it up from the pharmacy. And I'd not left my house. It was it was incredible. Uh, it, it was, I yeah. Know. So so I'm, I I completely embrace that, that, that part of the change. And, and going back to the, the education, I know I've spoken to um, quite a few uh, universities and higher education people recently, and yeah, that level of change that's affected them is also mm-hmm. now questioning their business model about mm-hmm. having a sprawling campus with these fantastic facilities, because right. actually the amount of face-to-face teaching that's going to be done will be a lot less than before. Yeah, that'll be a, a real shocker for the, the people that are picking up the bill. 
So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, I mean, it's a tough time for all of this to go through. But, yeah, we'll see. We'll see some big changes come out of this in the way that, that we live our lives. I think something mm-hmm. is becoming more solution-focused. Because, again, we've had to come up with solutions pretty quickly because we were just thrown into this. So I think leaders, uh, not that they haven't been solution focused, but they've had longer amount of time to come up Mm. with a solution. So I think having the teams, again, that involvement, but having involvement in the decision because you can you can be more in it. It's on a faster track, but I think solution focused and maybe not getting bogged down so much in problems sure. or excuses because you don't have time. You can't do that. You can't, yeah. you just, you really can't. So, um, so I, I, I hope that all of that comes to pass, right? Because I think there's some, there's some great stuff there that, that, that people can le- learn from. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to ask how many years you've been coaching leaders for, right? Uh, okay. <laughs> what I want to ask next is, how many leaders do you think you've worked with in your career? Just in rough handfuls. I, a lot. And my work started out working with individuals. So I started Brilliant. out career coaching and life change coaching. And it was in the 80s. So I've been around a while. But that was before so the- was such a thing as change management. And so yeah. I was a pioneer. And I mean, there wasn't. I just changed. There's so much change happening. And so I just took what I did with individuals and went into companies. And right. really, a lot of the outplacement work when people lost their mm. um, doing through a lot of organizational restructuring. And so yeah. that's what companies first began to look at, oh, maybe we need to manage change before we um, acquire another company. Maybe we need mm. to prepare, prepare for it. <laughs> But I mean, all I had to work on was what I observed with individuals. So it evolved. So thousands, thousands, <laughs> thousands. Yes, across industries and of course across. So, yes, it's. Um, I've been. I've been very fortunate to have the experiences that I've had, and it, it really has been because I was just willing to say yes if somebody asked me if I could do this, yep. if I could do something. I had just said yes, because <laughs> I thought I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'll well, figure it out. We'll work together and come up with an answer. I think, I think Richard Branson wrote a book on that, actually, about, uh, you know, yeah, just say yes and we'll figure out how to do it later on. So uh, lots of uh, great business people like you have, uh, have, have been very successful on it and good for you. And the reason I asked the question about, uh, about how many leaders have you actually worked with is because now I want to ask you the question about your leadership and say, What's your leadership legacy going to be? Developing other leaders. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I've yeah. always seen that my role too. I mean, whether any and a leader is not just having a title of leader. You can yeah. be a leader in your family. You can be a leader in your neighborhood. That's I mean, it. That's it. We have all kinds of leaders, but yeah, that's um, I, I I really enjoy helping individuals see their power. And leaders are people who are using their power to influence, to support, to encourage, to make their home a better place, to make their life better, to make their community better. So, yeah, power. It's just we all have power and we're either using it to make our life better or we're using it to be destructive and 
that's not yeah. that. Well, I think you've got a fantastic leadership legacy there. And for those uh, thousands of people that you've already worked with, I think they've been incredibly lucky to have you as their coach. Okay, so uh, what an what a awesome legacy that is. Now, we're virtually at the end, but the question that I want to ask everybody, okay, and, and it's probably one of the most important questions, is what resources would you like to leave our audience with, please? Well, if people would like to get in touch with me, of course, I have the two books I've written on Amazon. So if you just look up my name um, on Amazon, Rita Burgett Martell, or the name of one of my books, Change Ready, and the other book, Finding Moments. And so you'll see my author site. And on my author site, I have lots of articles that I've written um, on a variety of topics, personal and business and leadership topics, um, that you can download for free. And then also, if you want to email me with any questions or you know just I love interacting with people all over the world so my email is coach Rita R-I-T-A 365 at gmail.com so that's an easy way to get in touch with me and get on my mailing list of course I have a, a Facebook site and I have a blog that I do I call something to think about um, whenever I feel like writing it I think I'm not going to write unless I feel like I have something to say. And sometimes I feel like every week I have something to say. And sometimes I'll go for two months. I don't have a thing to say. So <laughs> I don't want to waste people's time. <laughs> if I have nothing well, to say. Well, well, that's fantastic, Rita. And uh, just for everybody, all of those links, uh, okay, to Rita's email, her website, her LinkedIn, uh, and the Amazon books. We're going to post all of those in the show notes. So you'll just simply be able to click on them and then uh, get in contact with with Rita. Um, we're going to do that for you, Rita. I've had a, a scan through uh, one of your books already. Okay. And uh, it was a fantastic book called Defining Moments. Uh, I've had a, a, a good read through the first couple of chapters. And there's some amazing stuff in there, everybody. So if you've uh, got time, please go and download that book and, and have a good read of it. And then definitely get in contact with Rita yourself and follow up on that discussion. Um, Rita, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. I knew it'd be fun talking with you. And I have my tea. So I've been enjoying my tea as we've been talking. So you, you've, you've done brilliant. You have you have completely fulfilled the title of Leadership, the Future and Tea. So thank you. Uh, for taking part it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you and uh, look forward to catching up with you in the future we're connected on LinkedIn so uh, we're going to carry on the conversation over the next few months so um, yeah so I'm going to wrap up there everybody and say thanks very much to Rita for taking part with us today on Leadership the Future and Tea Uh, we look forward to uh, welcoming you to our next podcast and uh, that's it everybody thanks very much bye-bye Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership, the Future, and Tea. Please take time to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also leave us a comment with topics you'd like to hear in the upcoming episodes.